Acts chapter 20, verse 13 to 38. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul abroad. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him abroad and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, and for, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came in the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would help, that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, none, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on on your guard. Remember that from three years, I never stopped warning each, each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace which can build up and give to you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is to be more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see him again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Last words are never trivial. Whether it's the coach in the basketball grand final that is using his final time out in the dying minutes of the tired game, or whether it's a father on his deathbed speaking to his children, last words are never trivial. They are always spoken from the heart. They are spoken about the most important things in life. They are spoken with a clarity that comes from knowing that you will never see this particular person again. Last words, they are never trivial. They are always about the most important things in life. And what we just read was Paul's last words to the leaders of the Ephesian church. 
Uh, Paul had previously spent three years with them, but now he's kind of finished planting churches in that region and he's moving on and he knows that he's not coming back. Now, there was no Facebook and Instagram back in Paul's day, so this is the last time he is going to see them face to face. You can see the emotional heaviness of this final goodbye in the last words of the passage. Just run your eye down to verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, his last words, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. These are Paul's last words to the leaders of the Ephesian church. And last words are never trivial. They are always about the most important stuff in life. So whatever Paul's last words are, it was important for Paul to say it, it was important for them to hear it, and it's going to be important tonight for us to listen to it. This may well be the most important thing that we hear today. So what were they? What were Paul's last words to the leaders of the Ephesian church? Well, Paul starts his last words by retelling what he did amongst them for three years. Verse 18 to 27 is Paul retelling them about his ministry amongst them. Let's read it together from verse 18. Uh, When they arrived, Paul said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So Paul preached, he taught He declared. He preached, he taught, he declared, he did it publicly, and he did it privately as he went from house to house. Now, keep reading, because he keeps describing his ministry amongst them. And I just want you to notice all the words that he uses to describe his ministry. Uh, Verse 22, he says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again, and therefore I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God." Well, there's his description of three years of ministry. I don't think you need to be a word sleuth to have picked up how Paul thinks of his ministry. He preached, he taught, he declared, he testified, he proclaimed. They are the words that he uses to describe three years of ministry in Ephesus. Paul's was a ministry of teaching, a ministry of teaching. Uh, but teaching what? Well, he says in verse 21, teaching repentance to God and to have faith in Jesus. In verse 24, he says he's teaching the good news of God's grace. So Paul begins his last words to the Ephesians by retelling them how he spent his three years amongst them teaching, proclaiming, testifying and preaching the big news of Jesus. Uh, Once you get that, I've got a question for you. 
Now, last words are important, right? So why does he spend his last words to the Ephesians talking about something they already know he did amongst them? Paul uses his last words to tell them something that they already know. In fact, you might have noticed that three times Paul mentions that. He says, you know how I lived amongst you the whole time I was with you, in verse 18. You know that I've not hesitated to preach, verse 20. You know, verse 34. Last words are critically important. So what a waste to use your last words to tell somebody something they already know. You know, you know, you know. That would be like in Star Wars, in, I think it's The Empire Strikes Back, where Yoda dies and he has his last words to Luke Skywalker. And so in the movie, Yoda says something to Luke which is important and that Luke doesn't know. He uses his last breath to say, Luke, you have a sister, and then he dies. Don't you think it would be kind of strange if Yoda used his last words to just tell Luke something he already knew? Luke, you know, I'm small and green. And then, ugh, he dies. What a waste of your last words. Last words are important. So why does Paul spend his last words telling the leaders of the Ephesian church something they already know about what he did in his ministry? Well, it's because Paul really wants them to be assured that they know what faithful ministry is supposed to look like before he calls them to do it by themselves without him ever being around again. See, I don't think there's anything more daunting in life than somebody giving you some large and important task that you are now responsible for and you actually don't quite know how to do it. You know that feeling when somebody gives you this massive job to do and now you are responsible for it, but you actually don't know what to do. It is a horrible feeling. And so as Paul hands this enormous task now to the Ephesian leaders to lead this church in his absence, what Paul is saying is, you know what to do. Because you know what I did for three years. I preached, I proclaimed, I taught, I testified to the gospel. You know what faithful ministry looks like and now it's time for you to do it in my absence. And so after retelling his ministry in verse 18 to 27, to make sure that they know what faithful ministry looks like, Paul then calls them to that same faithful ministry of teaching the gospel. Now let's pick it up from verse 28. Here's where he kind of commissions them. Keep watch over yourselves, verse 28, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in amongst you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day and with tears. So Paul here, he's commissioning the leaders of the Ephesian church for this ministry of teaching and he pictures them as the shepherds and the church which they lead as sheep. And one thing shepherds do, of course, is they care for the sheep, they feed them. The other thing they do is shepherds protect sheep from danger, which is the role that Paul really focuses on. 
Shepherds are to protect the sheep, the church, from what he describes as savage wolves, people who will come and hurt and harm this church and kill the sheep. Now, when you picture that guy, when you picture the savage wolf who harms the church, what kind of person comes to mind in your head right now? Is it the extremist in the Middle East that persecutes Christians? Uh, That is not who Paul is thinking about here. The wolf who savages the sheep are not people outside the church who harm the church. The wolf that Paul is warning them about are teachers and pastors within the church. Look at verse 29 closely. Verse 29, Paul says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. So from within the church... Men will arise, and look at this, here's how they harm the sheep, distort the truth, distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. The wolf which Paul is warning these guys about, the wolf that will come and hurt the sheep of the church are pastors and teachers within the church that distort the truth. So what does that wolf look like now in your head? What picture have you got in your head? I actually have a photo of what uh, this kind of wolf looks like. I'll put it on screen. They look like this. Uh, that, that is a photo of the St. Matt staff uh, taken from our website. Now, don't panic. What I'm not saying is the St. Matt staff that we are uh, literally, the, you know, the wolves that distort the truth. What I mean is this is what wolves look like. They look like this. They are people who profess a love for God. They are people that work in churches. They are people that talk about the Bible. They are people that have been to Bible college and have theological degrees. The wolves that Paul warns these guys of are teachers and pastors in the church who who distort the truth. I really want to tell that boy on the top right to kind of grow a beard and, um, yeah... (laughs) That's who the wolf is. That's who Paul is warning them of. Jesus referred to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like the flock, but they lead people astray as they distort the truth. You know, God's plan for your young lives is to grow up and to be happy and wealthy and rich and healthy. So saith the wolf who distorts the truth. You absolutely must speak in tongues to be a true Christian. So says the wolf. Bad things happen in this life to you because God isn't quite in control of everything. So says the wolf. God does not judge anyone. So says the wolf. All distortions of the truth that end up harming the sheep. Uh, this is a good chance for me to, to say this, but you must never believe something that I say or, or Jeff says or, or anyone says from this pulpit just because they say it. You should always be asking yourself, is that what the passage says? Is that what the Bible says? That's why we encourage you to bring your Bible to Uni Church on Sunday. That's why if you don't bring it, people will actually go through and hand out Bibles to you because we want you to be checking that what I am saying and that what your minister is saying from up the front is what God is saying in the passage in the Bible. Because the day you stop doing that, the day you stop holding up what your pastor says to what God has said in the Bible, that is the day that you instantly become 
vulnerable to wolves who distort the truth. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm pitching you to become, you know, consistently and constantly suspicious of everything that Jeff says uh, when he's up the front. Uh, like, one of the things I really value about St. Matt is that it holds its ministers and teachers to a very high account for teaching the scriptures. So you can have a good level of confidence that what your leaders say here at, at Uni Church is right because they're working very hard to say what the scriptures say, but that doesn't relieve you of your responsibility. Uh, Also, I think you have a pretty high chance of listening to a wolf on a podcast, a downloaded talk from the internet. Out of all the sermons that you listen to on podcasts, out of all the articles that you read online, which ones are written by wolves? How can you tell? You can tell by holding up what is said to what God has said in the Bible. You must never believe what a Christian leader says from the pulpit or from a podcast just because they say it. You must always at some level be holding it up to what God has said from the scriptures. And if that sounds like a bit of a daunting task, the good news is God has given you faithful shepherds to help you do that because it's particularly the job of the faithful pastor to help the sheep do that. In this passage, Paul is calling the leaders of the Ephesian church to protect the sheep from wolves. It's their task. It's the task of the leaders at Ephesus to protect the sheep from the wolves, from false teachers, which tells you something about sheep. I think it tells you that the most vulnerable Christians, the most vulnerable sheep, are the ones that have no shepherd, are the ones that actually don't really go to church, are the ones that kind of might drop into a church once a semester. It's the lone sheep that is most vulnerable, I think. It's the sheep without the shepherd. Now, this did happen at Ephesus. At some point when Paul was not in the church in Ephesus, wolves did arise and did distort the truth. And that's why we have, you know, in part, the letter of uh, 1 Timothy. Because Paul has to write the letter of 1 Timothy to Timothy. Uh, This is what he says. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. It happened in Ephesus, and history has shown that every generation since then has the danger of slick preachers attracting people for their own gain, for their own approval, for their own ego or own reward, and can damage the flock with distorted truth. Happened in Ephesus still happens today. It even happened at my church last weekend. Um, While we were in church uh, and we were preaching through Acts, you know, a group of people who do distort the teaching of scriptures actually went through our car park at St. Matthew's and left all these bulletins uh, on our windscreens. Uh, Now, these are full of distorted teaching in the scripture. I mean, it's titled, These Laws Restore Your Health, and it's got uh, lots of biblical references and um, how to interpret messages from angels and then lots of biblical references again. And um, it was actually Chris Roberts who noticed them all and, as a good shepherd, went through and took them all uh, off the cars. <laughs> but if you're interested in reading it, I mean, you can have it. I'm happy to give it to you afterwards if you're kind of interested in it. But it's the kind of thing, like, if you read it, you'll notice something. If you don't know your Bible well, you could really be tricked by this kind of thing, because it seems to be teaching the Bible. It seems to reference the Bible. You could really be tricked by it. 
And so Paul warns the elders in verse 31, be on your guard because wolves in sheep's clothing are sneaky. They are hard to spot. They look just like us. I want to tell you uh, about a girl I know called Angela. She grew up in Perth. She went to a church in the northern suburbs of Perth, regularly went to youth group where she was taught, falsely, that God's plan for her life was health and riches in this life. Health and riches, that's a pretty exciting prospect. And so uh, she believed it, despite the Bible not promising that to Christians. By the time she was 35, this supposed promised life of riches and health uh, had not happened. And so, of course, she began to doubt God's promises. Didn't stop there, of course, she began to doubt all of God's promises. And she eventually walked away from God. She now does not attend church, has nothing to do with Jesus. Tim, Tim became a Christian when he was at uni, absolutely loved the gospel when he heard it. Such good news. Jesus died for my sin to save me from the judgment that is coming. Eventually, though, leaders in the church that Tim joined told him that although God loves everyone, which is correct, God therefore doesn't judge anyone, which is false. Despite that, Tim came to believe it, and since Tim now believes that God doesn't judge anyone for anything, Tim now lives however he likes. Worse, he has no need for Jesus, since he doesn't need forgiveness, since there is no judgment, apparently. It's false. But Tim has since left the church, denied that Jesus is the only way, and actually it really matters very little to him, because he doesn't believe that God judges, even though he believes there's a God. Now, while I've changed the names and a few of the details, they are real people. Real people who have walked away from Christ. Real people who have left Christianity, not because of social pressure. Not because of intellectual objections. Not because of the hypocrisy in the church, but because they've been led astray by false teachers in the church. They have been left bloodied and beaten and bleeding by wolves and the real extent of that damage will only be clear to them on the day they stand before God on judgment day having let go of Jesus the one thing that could save them they have been left bloodied and bleeding by wolves by nice friendly men with bible college degrees And in Acts chapter 20, Paul's charge to the leaders of the Ephesian church is to be on guard against that, to protect the sheep. It's his last words to them, and last words are important. It's serious stuff. Now, being on guard is not just a job for the leaders of a church, it's for all of us. It's for you too. And so I'm going to, I want to arm you tonight with three questions to ask of any church ministry, starting with our ministry at St. Matt's. Uh, these three questions come out of the passage. These are three questions that will help us be on guard. It's helpful to ask it of this church, of our ministry, but it also works for any other church that you may be involved with in the future. Uh, the first question to ask, it's kind of obvious, so I feel a little bit silly saying it, but actually, I think it really needs to be said. Uh, Question one has to be, does my church teach the Bible? That's what Paul spent three years doing in Ephesus, preaching, teaching, proclaiming, testifying to the gospel of God. He taught the Bible faithfully. 
And as he leaves now, he commissions the elders of the Ephesian church to do the same and to protect people from false teaching. So question one has to be, does my church teach the Bible faithfully? Or does it just give me the pastor's opinions? Does my pastor just give me inspirational talks or encouragements? Now, you don't need church leaders who are funny, who hang out in the coolest coffee shops, who are trendy and wear the best clothes. It's kind of nice that you have that, uh, but you don't need it. Sheep need shepherds, and shepherds need to teach the flock faithfully and to protect from wolves who distort the truth. So question one has to be, does my church teach the Bible faithfully? The modern shepherd, the modern pastor, he does a great many things. Emails, rosters, emails about rosters, bulletins, budgets, emails, management of church programs, building maintenance, emails. All things the modern minister does, and it's right and good for them to do that because that helps the church run, but, do you know, a failure to do any of those things leaves nobody open to savage wolves who distort the truth. A failure to faithfully teach the scriptures does leave the flock open to savage wolves. The regular and the faithful teaching of the scriptures, you know, it's the only way people become Christian, it's the only way people grow as Christian, and it's the only way people endure as Christians in this life until the last day. It's the preaching of the gospel that does that. You can see it in verse 32. As a minister, I love verse 32 because as Paul is leaving the Ephesian elders, I just, I kind of feel like they are packing themselves at the size of the job that they've got to do now as Paul leaves. And look at what he says to them. I love this. Verse 32. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace. That is the word of his grace, the good news of Jesus. So he commits them as he goes to God and the word of his grace. Now look at the effects of the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. It's the word of God's grace. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus and his death for sin, which builds Christians up and gives them an inheritance in heaven. And when that word of God's grace, when the gospel is faithfully preached, believers are assured of their standing in the Lord Jesus and they are encouraged to press on in faith and love and deeds. It's the only way Christians are made. It's the only way we grow. It's the only way we endure and last to the last day. So question one has to be, does my church teach the Bible faithfully? This passage though itself, it leads us to ask more questions than that. I think question two is, am I being led to repentance and faith? It's worth noticing how Paul describes his ministry of teaching in verse 21. Have a look at verse 21. I think it's quite telling. He says this, I have declared, verse 21, to both Jews and Greeks that they must, number one, turn to God in repentance, and number two, have faith in our Lord Jesus. Repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. Uh, That verse is a warning to me. Uh, The warning is, you can have somebody teach you the Bible without leading you to repentance, to turning from sin. Do you know how you teach the Bible to someone without ever leading them to repentance from sin? Is you just choose to teach the bits of the Bible that don't challenge us about our sin. 
You just pick the bits that are affirming and comforting, and you just kind of skip over the bits that will confront us as Christians about our sin. So a good question for us to ask of our ministry here is, am I being led to repentance? Am I being convicted and called to turn away from my sin, to turn from my greed, from my idolatry, from my lust, to turn from my lack of love for others, my lack of forgiveness, my lack of compassion for the poor and the downtrodden? Does my church in its preaching of the scriptures ever confront me about my sin or do they only ever affirm me and assure me? Are there Sundays and hub groups where you feel convicted of your personal sin as the Holy Spirit works in you as the Bible is taught? Can you list sins this semester that you've been called to repent of as your leaders have faithfully preached the scriptures without, without skipping the hard and confronting bits that we might be tempted to? The first part of this question is, am I being led to repentance? The second part of the question is, am I being led to an increasing faith in Jesus? As I'm called to repent of sin, am I being pointed to the Jesus, the Christ, who died to forgive me of that sin? Because if you have one without the other, it's a disaster. If you're called to repent of sin, but you're not pointed to the forgiveness of Christ, that's a disaster because it just weighs you with guilt. If you're just pointed to Christ but never called to repent of your sin, then your life doesn't change. Am I being pointed to Jesus? Am I learning more about Jesus year by year? As my church teaches through both Old Testament and New Testament and I'm being consistently pointed to Jesus, the centre of the gospel, the centre of the Bible, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I think verse 21 is really telling, actually, when Paul describes his ministry as calling people to God in repentance and to have faith in Jesus. And so question two is, is that true of us? Am I here called to repentance from sin and faith in Christ? Question number three, do my church leaders love the sheep or the bucks? Now, uh, we need to ask that because of what Paul says in verse 33. Have a read of verse 33 with me. Paul says, I've not coveted anybody's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It's more blessed to give than receive. Paul was not in Ephesus for the money. He was not there for the bucks. He didn't even get paid for his three years of ministry in Ephesus. He supplied his own needs while he was in Ephesus. Why? Because he cared about the sheep, not the bucks. Animal pun totally intended. Watch out for the Christian leader with the million dollar ministry, the fancy car, the luxurious house and who is always preaching about money and the need to give. Watch out for the shepherd that might be feeding off the flock rather than laying down his life to feed the flock. A friend of mine uh, had some experience in this. He worked for a Christian organisation and one day, by accident, he found the payroll of this Christian organisation and he discovered that the CEO had arranged this company so that they, as the CEO, were paid the least out of all the employees in the company. The least. Why? 
Oh, because there was a Christian leader who loved the sheep, not the bucks. The reason why the sheep are to be loved by Christian leaders is there in verse 28. Look at verse 28. It's a wonderful description. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And look at this. Look at how the sheep are described here. Be the shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Shepherds, pastors, service leaders, hub group leaders. Uh, If you are in any of those roles, if you serve at Kids Church teaching the scriptures, uh, you look over something very, very precious to God. The church of God which he purchased, which he bought with his own blood in the Lord Jesus. Imagine if, if I went on holidays and I left you my orchid plant. I'm not actually into orchids, but work with me. I left you my awkward plant. Awkward? Orchid. Yeah, I told you I wasn't into them. Uh, I leave you this flower uh, that's growing. And I say to you, look, I'm going on holidays. I want you to look after it. You've got to feed it this fertiliser, but don't over-fertilise it because you've got to watch the pH of the soil. You've got to water it, but don't water it too much. It doesn't like you know the soggy soil. You've got to keep it kind of dry, kind of moist. And as I leave, I tell you, it's kind of a rare orchid. It costs me $3,500. Don't let it die. Uh, it is precious to me because of what I paid. The sheep, you guys, us, were purchased with God's own blood. The blood of Jesus. And shepherds who get that, how precious they are to God, love the sheep, not the bucks, because they sense the cost of the purchase price of these sheep. God purchased them with his own blood. So question one, does my church teach the Bible? Question two, am I being led to repentance and faith? And question three, do my church leaders love the sheep or the bucks? Last words. Last words are never trivial. They are always about the most important things. And so I think it's quite telling that Paul spends his last words to the Ephesians church talking about this, making sure they know that the future of their church and every church after them, lives and dies on faithful preaching, testifying and proclaiming of the Bible, of the gospel. Because it's that word of God's grace that grows the sheep, it's that word that protects them from wolves and it's that word that helps them endure to the last day when they'll stand before their great shepherd and Lord Jesus. So I think that would be a great thing to pray for. Before we close our notepads and flip over our tables, let's pray about that. Father, we do thank you for the message of the gospel, this message that is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, that the faithful teaching of that gospel leads people to repent of sin and find faith and life and forgiveness in Jesus. Father, we thank you that many people before us have faithfully preached and taught so that we might hear and that we might believe and that we might have life and forgiveness in Christ. Lord, we pray for our ministers, we pray for our hub group leaders, we pray for those that meet um, during the week to do one-to-ones and read Bible with people. We pray for our leaders in kids' church. We pray for all of those here at Uni Church who teach your sheep, that they would do so faithfully and that we would be led to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.